Truth News Network. Remember when Escape from New York was science fiction? When Soylent Green was inconceivable? When 1984 was can't happen here? (laughs) Welcome to the third millennium. And if you want to do something about it, you need to be armed with the Sword of Truth. And this is TNN, the Truth News Network. And your knight in armor is Dan Newman. Let me just start this day with you by asking you a question. Did you really believe we would be in this situation just a year and a half into this presidency, or for that matter, any presidency? Do you remember what it was like at the beginning of the Trump administration? You remember the anger and the hatred and the vitriol that was spilled 24-7 by not just politicians back then, but mainstream media. They hated Donald Trump. They hated the fact that he beat their star, Hillary Clinton. She was the anointed one. She was supposed to be moving into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, not Donald Trump, the orange man. Oh, my gosh. You didn't see much of that anger and hatred when Joe Biden beat Donald Trump, did you? That tells a story. It really does. It reveals a lot of different things about the atmosphere, the political atmosphere in our nation today. And I think if we don't do anything but learn, just look, absorb some facts, and just figure out politics is a dirty, evil game. There is no question about it. And as our forefather said, especially Thomas Jefferson, he hated political parties. He hated politicization of anything and everything. In fact, he was so demonstrative about his anger and hatred for politics that he said if if it required being a member of a political party to go to heaven, Thomas Jefferson said he wasn't going to plan on going to heaven because he did not want to be a part of any political party. Isn't it a shame that there are 330 plus million Americans and then we have God knows how many illegal immigrants are in the the borders of our nation. Let's just say maybe 350, 360 million people. Don't you think we could find some ways to get along with each other instead of finding ways to new ways to hate each other? Don't you think it would make life a whole lot easier for everybody if we could do that? And then there's the politicization of the differences between us when our politicians finally figured out, hey, we can turn each other on each other and we can use that as fuel and ammunition to get votes and to get people to give us campaign dollars. It's just a vicious cycle of selfishness, of meism. Meism is that social philosophy that's been around for a long, long time, which says, I'm going to accumulate everything that I possibly can. I'm going to garner as much favor and power as I possibly can. And it doesn't matter who gets hurt or what the price is for my doing that. That's part of being meism. And I am a meism person, so I'm going to go down that road. Far too many people, 
that are in government today subscribe to that philosophy. And they reject anything and anybody that goes against their pursuit, what they're going after. There is one thing in politics about disdain for other people. And then there's the other thing, which is if you have political differences with anybody, you don't just maybe disdain their political stances. Maybe you're just not going to be bosom buddies where you get together for lunch. No, you can't live in that world. If someone has an opinion politically different from yours, you must hate that person. You must hate everything they stand for. And further, you must do anything and everything you possibly can do to destroy them politically. Forget about the cost. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you just blow somebody up. (laughs) I meant that figuratively, but in this world, folks, that may be literally. I remember a time in my lifetime when it was a a big thing to find ways to get along with each other because things, circumstances around us weren't very good at the time. I remember Vietnam. I remember the divisiveness. I remember the hatred and the anger. I remember watching GIs coming on shore from the West Coast, from the Pacific, Vietnam area, in full uniforms. I remember them getting off airplanes and people demonstrating against them personally when all they did was answer the selective service note that they got that said, you have been subscripted, you got to join the military. It wasn't like those men and women back then volunteered. Some did, but most were drafted. And they went over and fought a war because they were told to go over and fight a war. And they pointed, their officials above them pointed to the enemy And they were just doing their job. But then I remember 9-11. I'll never forget it. I was sitting in my office and one of my employees knocked on my office door and said, hey, turn your TV on. One of the Twin Towers in Manhattan just fell. I couldn't believe it. Turned my TV on. It hadn't fallen yet, but I turned my TV on just in time to see that jet hit the second tower. And it was just a matter of time when both of them fell. I remember the atmosphere in the nation following that. I remember watching President Bush, Bush 43, standing on that pile of rubble where the Twin Towers formerly stood with a bullhorn, and he was encouraging all within his his voice that could hear him. He was pulling America together. I remember the sense, the feeling everywhere you went. We looked at each other and just for a little while, we put aside our differences and we found something to get together on. And we found some unity that we hadn't seen in a whole lot of years. I hope we get back to that place of seeking unity with each other, putting aside our petty differences finding commonality and working together towards a common goal. We are nowhere near that today. And you know what I pray? I pray that we don't have to wait on another 9-11. 
another Twin Towers falling, attacks from foreign foes, worried about Iran getting a nuclear bomb or Vladimir Putin losing his mind, which many think he already is, and he pushes the nuke button. I hope it doesn't take that for us to get together. But I can tell you this, I am sick and tired of this constant feud, this bickering that is just taking over every bit of conversation. It's sucking all the oxygen out of every room that you walk into. And the anger and hatred and vitriol, it just goes up, 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 all day, every day. And it seems like there's never any release. In all fairness, we have a lot on our plates right now. There are a lot of really important moving parts. And there are a lot of opinions about every one of those things. And there always will be. There should be. But opinions aren't necessarily right all the time. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean that it's right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean that it's wrong. We need to respect that fact. Respect it in other people. So what do we have on our plate today? Everybody is shocked that the Supreme Court did not come out on Monday and uh, give us their final verdict on Roe v. Wade. They didn't do it. They they put out a few cases, but there's still a lot to get done in this session. The Supreme Court is expected in the next week to hand down to us five major decisions, three of which are going to be massive, potentially material for history books. Those three, abortion, the Second Amendment, and religious liberty. The Supreme Court's term begins every year, the first Monday of October, and officially at last until the date of the next term's October start date. But the court's term as a public matter usually ends in the final week of June every year, which is now right around the corner. I mean, we're just days away. Next week is the final week of June. This year is unusual in the number of very consequential cases the court has had to consider. This week, they've already held in Carson versus Macon that Maine violated the First Amendment's free exercise clause. They did that when they excluded Christian schools from a school-aid program. But with Carson decided, fully five of the court's 13 remaining cases are also major cases. One is Biden versus Texas. It's about President Biden's attempt to shut down one of former President Trump's signature policies the Migrant Protection Protocols, better known as Remain in Mexico, without which the number of illegal aliens making it into this country would be far higher than it is. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor sang her colleague Justice Clarence Thomas's praises on Thursday for his dedication to the court's integrity. And the reason I read that tweet It is so unusual for anybody on the court to praise somebody that is of the other political ilk. A second big case, West Virginia versus EPA. That's about whether Biden's EPA has almost unlimited authority to issue sweeping environmental regulations without Congress, by the way. And that could transform the American economy, which we've seen it do it. 
Those two are really big, important issues. But they're probably going to be eclipsed by the remaining three in terms of their legal significance. One of them, at least, should be nothing short of historic. One is New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. That one's about whether the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms extends to outside our homes. The only two major gun rights cases decided by the court involved citizens who wanted handguns at home to use for self-protection. Now the court's going to consider how that right applies as citizens go about their daily lives. Another is about that former U.S. Marine and high school football coach the case is Kennedy versus Bremerton School District. That coach was fired by a public school for his custom of offering a short, silent prayer on his team's football field after each Friday night football game. And he didn't get players to participate with him. It was some did, and it was on a voluntary basis. This case could be a major ruling on three separate First Amendment issues free speech rights in schools, and or for government employees, the right to freely exercise religion for government workers, and the proper meaning of the Constitution's Establishment Clause, which forbids the government from adopting any official religion. Finally, of course, the 900-pound gorilla in the room, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. That's challenging a Mississippi ban on abortion after 15 weeks in which it now looks like a majority of the Supreme Court is willing to overrule Roe v. Wade by holding that the Constitution does not include an implied right to abortion. One way or the other, Dobbs will feature prominently in our history books going forward from this year concerning this period of time in the nation. And the court is scheduled to release more decisions today and tomorrow as well as next Monday. You were probably with us the other day. We had a constitutional attorney on with us when it was anticipated this Roe v. Wade case was going to be a decision released that day. It did not happen. Susan Swift is her name. She is vice president for Legal Affairs of the Right to Life League. She promised she will come back when the court issues this decision. But honestly, folks, this one may be the biggest decision to come out of the United States Supreme Court in our lifetimes. Why is that? Because the court is literally deciding life and death. I know, I know, I know. There's a question about when life begins and all that kind of stuff. But in my lifetime, in my thought process, I can never get away from the fact if there is a beating heart and somebody's breathing and they have uh, facial features and movement, they're alive. And by the way, my uh, other part of that definition is, is if there is a, pros- a possibility, not necessarily a probability, but a possibility that that baby can live outside the womb at that particular point, that baby's alive. And then I go back to Jeremiah. 
the book of Jeremiah, God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. And he said this to Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. God didn't say, I knew a bunch of cells that were a clump in your mother's belly. He said, I knew you. I don't know about you. It's good enough for me. Oh, well. So we have a few, maybe one, maybe 30, maybe 100 other issues on our plate to deal with. This gasoline thing. I got to be honest with you, folks. It's almost become comical. I sit and watch and listen to our our uh, political giants pontificate on both sides of this issue. Who's at fault? What are we going to do? I mean, you have a Democrat in the White House that he blames everything bad that happens in the nation and in the world during his term so far. He's blamed every bit of it on somebody else. Not a single Joe Biden decision that has been made and implemented has negatively impacted any of us. That's according to President Joe Biden. I knew Vladimir Putin was a powerful world leader. Evil, but very powerful. But I did not know he could unilaterally destroy our entire economy by causing that war in Ukraine, which according to Joe Biden is exactly what caused our gas prices and all of our inflation. Yesterday, President Biden demanded that gas stations start lowering their prices. This is just another thing that proves to me this guy doesn't have any concept of living a life, operating a business, making a payroll, having a product to sell, and all of the economics that go along with that. He doesn't have a clue. Just drop your prices. Forget about the fact that you're going to lose money if you drop your prices because I'm the president of the United States and this is all making me look bad. By jingos, drop your prices. Here's a quote. To the companies running gas stations and setting those prices at the pump, This is a time of war, global peril, Ukraine, the president said. He spoke about the high, record high gas prices occurring during his administration. He was given a speech on his imitation White House set across the street. These are not normal times, he said. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you are paying for the product, he said. Do it now do it today. Of course, no president has a right to force that to happen. But let me just point something out. Him saying that illustrates how little he knows about the oil and gas business, especially at the retail level. Now, let me tell you what I'm talking about. I just quoted what he said. Remember, bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost You are paying for the product. Now, in Joe's world, here's how it would work. I'm a gas station owner. And so, how do I get gasoline in my pumps? Well, I call the people that have the big gas tanker trucks, and I tell them, I need a load. And so, they bring it out, and they pump it in the tanks that are in the ground below my pumps out here. And I write them a check for the amount that they're charging me per gallon for that gas they just put in here in my pumps. 
And so what Joe thinks everybody should do is, hey, if you paid 50 cents a gallon for that, he's telling these operators, you need to you need to charge less than even what you're paying for it. Because these American people, they can only afford 45 cents a gallon. So why don't you just cut it to that? He literally is inferring that they need to do that. Now, here's how the price of gas works at the retail level. These people, they don't order a a pumper load of, of gasoline, and when they write a check for that gasoline, remember, they're going to immediately start selling it. So typically in this environment, what happens before they get the next tanker load a week or 10 days down the road, guess what happens? The price of gas goes up. I know it's hard for you to believe in America that the price of gas is going to go up in such a short time. It goes up within hours during a day. So what are these companies supposed to do? What does Joe Biden want them to do? Well, he wants them to charge based upon what they have in the ground already. It doesn't work that way. Next week, when that other pumper comes in and unloads that load, they're going to have to pay a higher price. So what do they have to do? While they're selling that first load, they're going to have to project what it will cost them next week for the next load and charge their prices based upon not what they paid for what's in the ground already, but what they're going to have to pay for what's going to be in that next tank that is going to be delivered next week. He just doesn't get that. He griped that the price of oil had fallen slightly, but the price of gas had not. Some haven't reduced prices at all. He doesn't get how it works. And then he got defensive. I'm doing my part. I want the Congress and states, the industry, to do their part as well. Can't we all just get along? And then he played his trump card. And I use that term trump card figuratively. But his trump card is Vladimir Putin. He once again blamed Putin for the high cost of gas, even though prices rose significantly before Russia invaded Ukraine. He argued the high cost of gas was the price for defending democracy in Ukraine, which we're not doing. We're not involved in that war. All they're doing is what he typically does. He takes taxpayer dollars and just throws it out there, throws it up against the wall, hoping something's going to stick. We're not in this invasion, and we're not going to be. And Vladimir Putin and every other leader on earth knows we're not going to be. Americans in this administration, they all think, throw money at it, whatever it is, and it'll go away. We could have turned a blind eye to Putin's murderous ways and the price of gas wouldn't have spiked the way it has. I believe that would have been wrong. I believe then and I believe now the free world had no choice. He's getting more and more rankled every day by Republicans and other conservatives who are blaming him and his policies for the high cost of gas, suggesting they did not care about Ukraine. Are you saying we would rather have low gas prices in America than Putin's iron fist in Europe? He actually asked that. (laughs) 
when I heard him say that, I raised my hand. Call on me, Mr. President. I'm going to tell you, yeah, that's what I believe. I'd rather have low gas prices here than for you to throw a bunch of more millions of dollars against the political walls in Ukraine. Just when you think it can't get worse, it does. And of course, Joe Biden's panacea, everybody in this administration, uh, the transportation secretary, the energy secretary, they all believe the answer to everything is battery-powered cars. All you got to do is go buy one of these battery-powered cars and you plug it up. You don't have to worry about where that electricity is coming from on the other end of that cord that you have in your garage that you charge your car with at night. Don't even think about the fact that on the other end of that card at the power plant downtown, they're burning that evil coal to generate that electricity and sending it to you. But it looks good. It looks like we're being environmentally friendly and that we're taking care of business. So because we're looking good, that means everything's okay. Well, Joe's got a problem about his electric vehicles. A new law prevents supplies from China for electric vehicles and other green energy products from even getting into the U.S. And that's already very quietly halted a Biden administration priority. Now, what's this all about? The Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. The Uyghur, those Chinese Muslims that have been held in concentration camps. Hundreds of thousands of them. And they're forced to create and build products. Well, that act that was passed by Congress, signed into law, requires proof that any products coming from Xinjiang in China, one of the main sources of products crucial in making batteries, were free of forced labor. And that law goes into effect next Tuesday. Biden is pushing to make at least 50% of vehicles emission-free by 2030, as part of his green energy deal. Xinjiang is expanding to different areas of China where Uyghurs reside. The expansion has allowed Xinjiang to acquire new deposits as the company is involved in providing many companies with electric products. You can't outsource American energy products and production. You can't do it. Does this administration, does this president, does this transportation secretary, energy secretary, do they not understand that when they got their new jobs, they were passed the baton and that baton was the United States Energy Production Baton and it was number one on the planet. We were producing more energy than any other country on earth. 100% of what we needed, and then we were selling the excess to our foreign partners. First time in 60 years that it happened. It happened under Donald Trump in October of 2020. Joe Biden gets elected four weeks later, and he began to announce on day one what he was going to do, which was to dismantle exactly what had just been achieved, and Put us on the road of going back to where we are right now and where we were when Barack Obama and Joe Biden were at the top of the heap 
for those eight years in the Obama administration, reliant upon foreign energy sources. And we, we spent the first 15 minutes of the show yesterday. If you weren't with us, go to yesterday's show. You can grab it at Apple iPods, Google iPods, um, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. Go grab the show, TNN Live, and listen to the first 15 minutes. It was taken from the night before Sean Hannity's show on Fox News where Hannity laid out the plan that I'd been giving to you for weeks and weeks here, that there is a purpose for this administration doing what they're doing, energy-related regards to Ukraine, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and Joe Biden's trip coming up next week to go to Saudi Arabia. And what is it all about? This president, his administration, and that big group of bureaucrats that are his handlers giving him all the input around him, they want to outsource American energy production, period. They want it to go away. They want us out of the energy business. They want to be able to thump their chest walking around among their environmental friends and pat themselves on the back because we're the most fuel-efficient country on the planet. We're going 100% to renewable energy. And if you listen to that 15 minutes, you'll hear an exhaustive reality unfolded that tells you and shows you we cannot do that. It's impossible to do that. And what Joe Biden and John Kerry and others like them want to do is to hand off our energy production to those countries we just mentioned. Throw in Venezuela, throw in Colombia, Iran, Russia, Ukraine, Saudi Arabia. We've seen how that works. OPEC, for years, folks, OPEC has totally controlled the price of fuel. And what makes Joe Biden think that will ever change? He has no political clout in the Middle East. He thinks he does, but he doesn't. He thinks Iran is in his pocket, but they're not. Iran is and will be a rogue nation forever and ever and ever. They will be. And we're not in the business of going out there and assassinating world leaders, but even if we did that, They would just replace them with new leaders that are of the same ilk as the old ones, the ones that we assassinated because we didn't like them. We have no business getting into the politics of other countries, period. They have no business getting in our politics. American ingenuity, creativity, entrepreneurship, the capitalist system, those are the things that have functioned very successfully. For 260 years. And this administration is single-handedly tearing those, those creations and those successes, kicking them to the curb. Because why? They will probably never admit it. But they want to be in a ruling class of people that run this country. 
And to do that, it's going to take a lot of outside assistance domestically. Listen to what I'm about to say. Domestically, this country cannot be taken from the people domestically. It's not going to happen from within. They've been trying it. It's unsuccessful. But if they can transfer our energy production system to outside sources, then they know whoever those outside sources are, whoever the ones are that we're looking to for our energy, because this administration is selling it off. They'll control every area of our life and what they tell us to do, we'll have to do. The American people will no longer have, no longer be the voice of government. And there are a lot of people that think we're not now in the first place. But constitutionally, we are. This is government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people. Wow. So what do you think so far? (laughs) I think we have a lot on our plate. But once again, I'll tell you, I am confident Whatever's on our plate, we have the tools, we have the capability, we have the expertise, and we have the chutzpah to take them head on and get them resolved. I don't care what Joe Biden says or anybody in his administration. We are still the greatest nation on the planet. It's just time for our leaders to stand up and act like it. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way, we built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G Ultra Wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities.
vehicles. That's that's the panacea for the Democrat Party. That will cure all of our energy issues. And of course it won't, even if we had the infrastructure in place, the plans in place to make a transition to that. They just want everybody to think that all we have to do is flip a switch and bam, no more fossil fuel and every car is electric. Every plane is electric. Every ship is, none of that makes any sense and you get it. So this electric vehicle craziness that's going on. The other day, I played this little soundbite for you. Listen to this lady explaining the wonders of having an electric car and not having to deal with that evil gas station. Now, speaking of Brave New World, General Motors spokesman Christine, Kristen, I should say, Zimmerman, was boasting about the GM new electric vehicle, the Chevy Volt. Now, after boasting about how green and progressive the vehicle was, she was actually forced into an embarrassing admission. Have a look at this. Well, what's charging the, the batteries right now? What, where, where's, what's the source of a... Well, like, here. It's, it's coming from the building. I mean, are, is it... Um, what's our mix of power? Oh, actually, Lansing feeds the building. What's that? Lansing feeds power to the building. So I don't I don't know... They're... Uh, I bet you they're a bit of coal. Oh, they're heavy on natural gas. Yeah, Lansing gives power to the building. And they went then to the Lansing executive who said that 95% of their power comes from coal. What an inconvenient truth. Yep, it's not all it's made out to be, this whole EV stuff. Apparently they've spent $2 trillion over the last decade in supporting renewable energy and a reliance on fossil fuels. It's dropped from 86% to about 84%. So there's only about $150 trillion left to go before the lights are out. $150 trillion to go before we uh, we effectively and reasonably become all electric. It just is insane. She literally did not understand. She just stopped at the wall where that electric cord ran out of the garage wall where she plugged into her car. She stopped at the wall. She just thought some mysterious magic way there was a big vat of electricity behind the wall. And all she had to do was plug it up, her car, that Chevy Volt, and bam, she didn't have to deal with that evil carbon fossil fuel. This may be the most ridiculous thing in my lifetime in government to watch play out. There are people in very high positions in this government that are just plain stupid. I don't know another way to couch it. It doesn't take a physics degree or a geological degree to understand how this all works. It's almost as if they believe that, oh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, somebody just stood up out in a field and waved a flag and said, hey, 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 I found fossil fuel. We're going to make gasoline engines and we're going to power the nation and the world with this stuff that's coming out of the ground. And then the next day it was all in place. That's what they're expecting to happen in the EV industry, electric vehicle industry. And by the way, it takes batteries to run these cars. 
Have you ever seen the environmental hit mining for the minerals that are in batteries? Have you ever seen what those strip mines look like? It looks like it looks like a I don't know, a planet hit this planet and just blew up a big hole, sometimes hundreds of feet deep and a mile across, where they stripped these minerals out of the ground. It is anything but environmentally friendly or environmentally safe. But you know what? When you're a Democrat, when you're trying to implement very quietly your policies that border on totalitarianism, you can't talk about all the facts of these things. You have to keep the American psyche right up at the top of it. Oh, isn't it cool? Isn't it cool? You don't have to worry about carbon monoxide in your car because it's electric and electricity takes care of everything. And we're the American government. We're Democrats. We brought this to you. You need to benignly listen to everything we say because what we say works when we do it. And we know better than you do what's good for you. John Kennedy, Senator Kennedy from right here in Louisiana, he's kind of the elder statesman of the United States Senate. Nobody explains stuff like Senator Kennedy does. He's Mark Twain of this generation. Well, he, just like everybody else, is sensing and feeling and struggling with our inflation issues, which are directly impacting, obviously, the big kahuna, which is price at the pump. And Senator Kennedy weighed in on the inflation conversation. Listen to how smart this man is when it comes to this explanation. So now we have Republican Senator from Louisiana, John Kennedy, joining me now. He sits on the Senate Banking Committee. Senator Kennedy, welcome. It's good to have you here. Um, I, I'd like to go back and start with that soundbite from Jerome Powell. And maybe, uh, guys, in the control room, it, we could replay that Jerome Powell soundbite uh, where he, many would say, I think, contradicts what we have heard about what really is the driver of inflation in the country. Here it is. Would you say that the war in Ukraine is the primary driver of inflation in America? No, inflation was high before, certainly before the uh, war in Ukraine broke out. What do you think about that, sir? What do you think about the economic advisor to the president's response to that? Well, I think, uh, I think Chairman Powell answered truthfully. Um, I listened to uh, Mr. Sperling's dialogue. Um, I think I speak for most Americans when I, when I say that if you, if you put Mr. Sperling and his colleagues at the White House in charge of the Sahara Desert, they would run out of sand. They are hopelessly simple-minded. Either that or they're just not telling the truth. Uh, the president's latest proposal is to uh, eliminate the 18-cent federal gas tax for three months. It, my, average gas in my state's four bucks and 51 cents. Is four dollars and 33 cents better than 451? Sure. But uh, the price isn't going to stay at 433 unless we do something. The only way to get gasoline prices lower is to flood this country with oil, our own oil, and guarantee to the industry that if in, it invests capital to do that, 
that it will be allowed to get a return on its capital and that as soon as the crisis is passed, the Biden administration won't try to put them out of business. Mm. Because right now, the Biden administration is trying to put them out of business. Uh, the Biden administration has uh, blocked oil and gas leasing in the Gulf, blocked oil and gas leasing in Anbar, sick the FTC on the industry. Uh, it's promulgating new NEPA rules so you wouldn't be able to build a pipeline in America. And, and those are all just facts. And I think, uh, I think Mr. Sperling is either, he's being very disingenuous um, that's that's the most charitable thing I can say. You know, let, let's remind everybody, this is a flashback to the debates. This is on October 22nd, 2020. And here's the back and forth on this issue between President Biden, now President Biden, and then President Trump. Watch. It has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry, I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. So basically what he's saying question, is he is Mr. going President? to destroy the oil industry. Okay. Will you remember that, Texas? Will you okay. remember that, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice President In fact, just the other day, President Biden said that this opportunity provides us the moment to transition to these other areas. And I think most Americans, Senator Kennedy, are not opposed to investing in and discovering new forms of energy and new ways to uh, to propel the country. But just you just can't close down the industry that provides us everything we have right now. No, you can't. And and President Biden's energy policy is uh, wind, solar and wishful thinking. And that's not going to power the, the, the most powerful economy in all of human history. Look, Martha, we're, we're in a, it's time for, I'm disappointed in Mr. Sperling. It's time for the games to end. Uh, we're in a hell of a mess here. Inflation is hitting my people so hard, they're coughing up bones. Our, our national debt is greater than our national output. Um, crime is way up. The border's wide open. Respect for our institutions is way down. 70% of the people think this country is headed in the wrong direction. And, and the economists who work for President Biden know this. The only way to get the price of gasoline down is to increase the supply. The only way to increase the supply of gasoline is to increase the supply of oil. The only way to increase the supply of oil is for the Biden administration to get its boot off the neck of the oil and gas industry. He hates them. I mean, he, you know, he, he, he mocked them. He, the president, mocked them yesterday, and they're coming to the White House, and he won't even deign to meet with them. I mean, when somebody acts like they don't care, sometimes it's not an act. It doesn't take a genius to look at circumstances that surround you and draw realistic conclusions that are factually based. I look at this energy, this whole energy situation, and it's wave after wave of fallout, our supply chain, baby food shortage. We can't get ships into port. Remember? Old Jen Psaki, circle back. She, in a press briefing when she was confronted with the supply chain issues, she said, and I'm going to paraphrase, but it's pretty close to her quote. Oh, we were working on that long before the inauguration of President Biden. We were working on our plan to take care of the supply chain issues. Nobody in that room asked, what's the plan? 
that you developed months and months and months ago. Can we see it? There wasn't any plan. There's not any plan today. The only thing that this president wants to do regarding our energy is get rid of the responsibility of having an energy industry. It'd be much easier just to move that whole process over to someone else, outsource it, and get some specialist regarding fossil fuel in the interim while we're over here and our brain genius folks are creating this new green energy thing that we know factually because of Al Gore and John Kerry. Oh, it's going to work. This is the panacea that will fix life for every human being on the planet. And I'm Joe Biden, and it's happening during my administration. That sounds ridiculous, but that's exactly what's going on right now in Washington. In December last year, Joe Biden and his administration forecasted gas prices would drop below $3 a gallon. They actually published that. We talked about it here on the show. Gas was going to drop below $3 a gallon. Here we are seven months later. $5 a gallon plus, more than doubling since President Biden assumed office. Election Day 2020, I paid $1.69. The day he was inaugurated at the same station, I paid $2.39. In a couple of months, the price of gas, because of him. He was out there preaching what he was about to do, destroying the fossil fuel industry, and it went up 70 cents. Prices at the punt, they finally began to creep down a little bit lower the last few days. That trend should significantly accelerate in the coming months. That, of course, comes from the Biden administration. Gas prices are down a few cents. It's because of us, Joe Biden and our administration. Everything good that happens on the planet, it's because of something that we did. Anything bad that happens on the planet, it's because of those MAGA people and the orange man. They honestly think the American people are all up in that whole thought process. The American people are not there. The American people are suffering needlessly, senselessly. And this administration apparently does not see it, does not understand it, and has no desire to wade into the middle of that because they don't have any solutions. We need to just broach on the January 6th issue. I'm not going to wade into it. I told you I wasn't going to get involved in it. I haven't watched one of the single... uh, kangaroo court sessions they have where they bring up all this evidence. They don't have any defense witnesses up there. They don't cross-examine anybody that sits in front of them. It's a charade. It's a circus. And I haven't gotten involved in it. But let me tell you what happens. Life goes on. While, While Nancy Pelosi's committee is up there embarrassing themselves every day, police reports now prove that plainclothes electronic surveillance unit members were embedded 
by the government, by our government, they were embedded among the January 6th protesters. There's growing speculation still that federal agents and Capitol Police were involved in instigating acts of violence that day. Protest and recording spot responses for the purposes of entrapment. Evidence now shows that plainclothes members of a special electronic surveillance unit, that's called ESU for short, were embedded among protesters for the express purpose to conduct video surveillance. Evidence also points to a day of security deficiencies, police provocation for the purpose of entrapping people. Now, isn't it happenstance that this story comes out right in the middle of the January 6th hearings when we find out, uh uh-oh, the government was colluding with Democrats trying to find ways to ramp up the furor of that day, make it something that it wasn't, and make it so that vile conservatives led by the orange man were responsible for far more than what actually happened that day. According to one report, First Amendment demonstrations issued January 3, 2021 by Chief of Police Robert Conti of the Metropolitan Police Department in D.C., Homeland Security Bureau, Special Ops Division, obtained exclusively the Metropolitan Police Department began to activate Civil Disturbance Unit platoons on January 4th. Full activation of 28 platoons was scheduled to happen on the following two days. According to the DOJ website, here's what it says. A CDU is composed of law enforcement officers who are trained to respond to protests demonstrations, civil disturbances for the purpose of preventing any violence, destruction of property, unlawful interference with persons exercising their rights under law. So according to this police chief, the objective of the Metropolitan Police Department was to, quote, assist with the safe execution of any First Amendment demonstration and ensure the safety of the participants, the public, and all of the officers. CDU personnel and Special Operations Division members were to monitor for any demonstration and or violent activity and respond accordingly. So there has been a lot of speculation that federal agents and Capitol Police were involved in instigating some acts of violence that day. It was reported by Red State in October last year Multiple surveillance videos show masked men opening up the doors to the Capitol building, allowing and waving protesters to enter. In fact, one video shows them entering while Capitol Police officers simply stand around. Yet we have no idea who those men are. Tucker Carlson tonight, way back on December 7th on his show, the attorney for several of those January 6 prisoners, Joseph McBride, identified a guy tagged on the internet by so-called sedition hunters, and he was tagged with this name, Red Faced 45. The man was dressed in red from head to toe. Even his face was painted red. 
He appears in a video engaging in dialogue with uniformed personnel and others who McBride insists are agents embedded in the crowd. McBride said the man is clearly a law enforcement officer. He passed out weapons, sledgehammers, poles, and mace. Some of those things come in contact with some of the other protesters who have subsequently been charged with possessing dangerous weapons and are using dangerous weapons at the Capitol. That is the definition of entrapment. It's clearly our government creating conditions of dangerousness and entrapping members of the crowd to possess weapons and possibly use them for reasons we cannot comprehend. All of this has been out there for months, for months. Where's the New York Times? Where's the Washington Post? Where's CNN? Where's MSNBC? Where's Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer? On January 13th last year, Michael Waller, senior analyst for strategy at the Center for Security Policy, he published a firsthand account of what he saw. Waller, by the way, is also president of Georgetown Research, a political risk and private intelligence company. It's headquartered in D.C. Was founding editorial board member of NATO's peer-reviewed defense strategic communications journal. In other words, he knows what he's talking about. He's convinced people were embedded in the crowd to execute an organized operation planned well in advance of the January 6th joint session of Congress. Here's what he said. A covert cadre of people were scattered throughout the crowd, and every one of them was there to encourage people to move toward the Capitol, including fake Trump protesters he suspected are Antifa, wearing Trump or MAGA hats backwards. We reported here on January 1st that senior federal law enforcement officials refused to answer questions about that Arizona man named Ray Epps. Epps, captured on a video the day before the rally wearing a Trump hat, repeatedly was encouraging protesters to go into the Capitol the next day. A lot of those people were suspicious of him. Chance of fed, 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 drown him out. January 6th, he's seen telling the crowd, we are going to the Capitol where all of our problems are. This kind of stuff, here we are, year and a half later, and it's just now beginning to filter out. It's been being hidden. No real investigations were instigated by a real investigation by the House of Representatives. You certainly can't call what this charade is an investigation that's going on. I would say negatively, and I almost said it just just now, I would say I am doubtful we'll ever get all the facts about that, just like I am doubtful we'll ever get all the facts about the real voting irregularity and fraud perpetrated on the American people in that 2020 election. But I'm not going to say that. I've got more faith and confidence. I believe there are enough patriots left in this government and in the United States to see this all the way through, to expose all of the wrongdoers 
and hold everybody who falls in that category accountable for what they did, what they instigated, and the reasoning for it. That means going upstream from them. Joe Biden, in the very beginning of his administration, he numerous times made it very clear that the buck stops with him. Everything stops with the President of the United States when it comes to placing blame. He said, I will be accountable for everything that happens in my administration. So let's treat Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer the same way the President of the United States told us to treat him. The buck stops with them. Those two collectively have sole authority to ensure the safety of the Capitol buildings and grounds. Those are the people that were contacted by National Guard. That's been confirmed by General Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. National Guard reached out because of a request made to them by Donald Trump to have 20,000 National Guardsmen on the grounds that day for suspected, according to the FBI, possible violence. Nancy and Chuck said no. There is no logical reason for any leader under the circumstances which we all knew was going to happen in some shape or form to not want the National Guard there. Further, Steve Baker, who you've heard on this show three different times, Steve was in the crowd, he's a photojournalist. He said until the first breach of the Capitol happened, there was not an armed member of the Capitol Police anywhere on the grounds. They weren't carrying weapons. And then when the breach happened, the first people went into the Capitol, all of a sudden, all the Capitol Guards were carrying sidearms. This was a coordinated effort to dump Donald Trump, to denigrate him, and in essence, be his third impeachment trial. And we're going to stop right there. I haven't missed too many things in way of predictions during the lifetime of this show. And I don't make predictions without giving them a lot of thought before I do. This January 6th thing was 100% coordinated by the left. And I will bet you until the day I die or I am factually disproven, I will bet you Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer were in this up to their eyeballs. What can be done? I have no clue. I don't know that anything can be done. But you know what? We can at least hold on. Sit tight. Keep digging. Watching. Demanding facts. Just like this inflation stuff. We got to find out exactly what's causing it. Why would we want to do that? Not to place blame, folks, but to find out what we can do to reverse it. I am sick of pain. $5 or almost $5 for a gallon of gas. It's just wrong. Let's get facts. Let's make decisions, not based on emotion, but based on facts for a change. Now more than ever, you need the truth. Real news. Real truth. TNN.
The Truth News Network. not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts by 2 and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. Listen, we're going to move on. We've got so many things to cover today. But before we do, I want to point you to the feature story today, published overnight, 1.45 a.m. It went live. The title of it is, and let me double check. I'm going to make sure I get it right. Is white supremacy the leading threat to Americans as the FBI and the Department of Justice claim? We've heard claims for years now that white supremacists are the most dangerous threats to American democracy and that their attacks, these evil supremacists, far exceed any domestic attacks perpetrated by any other group. Where's that information come from? Well, U.S. Department of Justice and confirmed again and again by the FBI and by the way, this White House too. And all of those expert predictions, (laughs) We know about those, don't we? We've had our COVID pandemic. We know about those experts. But anyway, the DOJ, FBI, White House, they've been saying again and again, white supremacy, white supremacy. Americans believe it. But you know what? It's not true. It's not true. You want facts? Check out that story. Is white supremacy the leading threat to Americans as the FBI and the Department of Justice say that it is. Don't get me wrong. White supremacy is bad. Any supremacy, and there are other types of supremacists, by the way, that aren't just white skin colored. I'm telling you, it's a lot worse than the white supremacy problems that we have had here, and we've had some. I'm not diminishing it in any way, but it's by far by far not the worst. And it's being used as political weapons. I know that surprises you. That's what our government does. (laughs) On another note, do you know the name Michelle Singletary? Michelle Singletary is a columnist for the Washington Post. And she got up right in the middle of all of this stuff about inflation yesterday. She urged everybody on this panel that they were talking about all the suffering going on for the American people because of inflation. And Miss Singletary said, and I said, Miss Singletary, I don't know if she's married. I I hate to even go there. 
anyway, she urged everybody to just calm down. Well, you speak about those folks who are living paycheck to paycheck, and there's a new poll out by Political Morning Consult that I think is quite revealing. 38% of Americans would rather see a recession than the inflation we're dealing with. And the columnist Singletary said this, quote, You know, I'm just going to say this. If I get dinged for it, I don't care. There's a great deal of Americans where it is uncomfortable they're spending more. But they are not going to go under. You know, you got to stop complaining when there's so many people who literally the inflation rate means they may only have two meals instead of three. There are Americans who did extremely well in the last two years in the market. You still have your job. And yeah, it's costing you more for gas, but guess what? You're still going to take that 4th of July holiday vacation. You can still eat out. So I'm going to need you to calm down and back off. It feeds into this fear. And people making decisions that create the very thing they're fearful of. And you're in that category. Calm down. Stop looking at your portfolio. You know what you can do with that energy? Help people. Put food on the table of somebody else's house because you have extra. She wasn't done. She continued. And she's on a roll. Now the other half of America, she said, anything that we can do to help them to get the job that they need to keep, to put food on the table, those are the folks that we need to concentrate on. If they're responding, saying they're afraid, I get that. But overall, many Americans are not suffering as much as they think they are. We can think things into existence because we are unrealistically fearful of something that hasn't happened yet. We don't know if we're in a recession yet. Inflation is high, but it's high for a reason. We just came out of a pandemic where if you got COVID, you weren't sure you were going to live. You know, listen, I got three young adults trying to make it in the world, so I'm right there. I came from a situation where I know what it's like to literally be hungry, not the kind of hunger where you open up the fridge where there's food in there and you say there's nothing to eat. I feel both sides. I'm trying to calm myself down and trying to help other people realize what can you do and what you can do is continue to save. If you don't need to drive, don't drive. If you can put off a project, put it off. But if you're in the position to eat at the restaurant, even if the meal is a little bit more, go eat at that restaurant. Help save a business that is still trying to limp through the pandemic. Man, she just put it out there, didn't she? Well, she works at the Washington Post. The average pay for somebody at the Washington Post that actually is a writer is about 80 grand a year. So here's a woman that I'm just saying, she may make more than that, she may make less, but I'm just going by averages. She's making 80 grand a year and she is preaching down to anybody that has a problem and wants to complain about inflation. And she's using her perspective, the circumstances that she sees in her world, and she's judging everybody else. Yesterday, I heard a story. Somebody went to the gas station, 
<clears throat> pulled up to the gas station to load up and the person before them had put $5.12 worth of gas in their tank. One gallon. That's all the money they had. Hopefully they were thinking, if I get this one gallon, it'll be enough to get me to the office and get me home. There are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that are in that that particular dilemma. Everybody, everybody has a list of needs. Pretty much everybody, if you ask them this question, what does it take for you just to get by financially? You could pop it off the top of your head and be almost 100% accurate. Most people are there. And when, through no fault of their own, no decisions of their own, all of a sudden, because of what Joe Biden has done, we are told each family in the nation is going to pay $6,000 more just to maintain the same level of life they had last year because of Bidenflation. Now, this writer, Miss Singletary, she probably thinks, well, just go to your boss and get a $500 a month raise. That's $6,000. You'll be treading water for a while, but you're a patriot. Find somebody to help out. <laughs> the problem Miss Singletary doesn't relate to is she hasn't met a payroll. She hasn't run a business. She's a columnist for the Washington Post. Most businesses can't pay their employees $500 a month this week just simply because a year ago a hardcore leftist that formerly was a moderate Democrat for many years got elected president and decided he was going to be a totalitarian in the making and started clamping down on the finances of every American, every American company making unilateral decisions with no input from people involved. That's saying stuff just like Miss Singletary said there, putting you down if you have a financial problem that you can't handle. There's something wrong with you if you can't handle it. Forget about the circumstances. Uh, these circumstances were no fault of yours. You didn't choose to make the policy decisions that drove the price of gasoline up over $5 a gallon. There are places today where it's $9, $9 a gallon for gas. Think about that. Wow. What else is going on around us? <laughs> I mean, we are so, we are so bogged down with negative stuff. This gun thing, this is a really big deal to me. A really big deal to me. My entire life, every, I guess, four or five or six years, we have a cycle where something happens, there's a shooting, there's a robbery, and it's it's very public and it's horrible and, and it has horrible results and people are shot and killed or a school shooting, the worst kind. And within every one of those cycles, we see politicians in D.C., getting excited because here's something they can use to attack their political opponents. And it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. You can use gun shootings and mass shootings. You can use those to go after your political foe. And boy, do they. 
Well, the House already passed a very restrictive gun law, or it's a bill, it's not a law yet. And the Senate, they just came out of their chambers and they put one together. For days now, we were told, we have a bilateral agreement. We have a bilateral agreement. And I've been asking. I've actually been on the phone with Congressman Mike Johnson twice trying to get the details. He didn't have the details. Well, yesterday, we got the details. You want to know what's in that bill? A bipartisan deal on guns has cleared its first hurdle in the U.S. Senate. But now the bill is facing Republican headwinds in the House. Today, the House GOP leaders Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise reportedly announced in a closed-door meeting that they will oppose the gun package and whip up votes against it. Notably, Scalise is a shooting survivor himself. The Senate's latest attempt to do anything about mass shootings comes in the wake of the racist rampage at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, and of course the slaughter of the elementary school students and their teachers in Uvalde. If Congress passes this bill, it would be the most significant gun safety legislation in nearly three decades. But time and again, we've seen gun reform proposals rise and fall after shootings in America. The question is, will this time be different? CBC's Shamari Stone on what's in the bill and the road ahead. Gun safety legislation is making its way through the Senate. Well, this time is different. Receiving enough Republican support to clear a procedural hurdle. This time, the Democrats came our way and agreed to advance some common sense solutions. The vote signaling better odds the full measure passes in the Senate. The bill is real progress. It will save lives. And it is my intention to make sure the Senate passes this bill. The bipartisan deal incentivizes states to pass red flag laws, increases penalties for gun traffickers, enhances a background check for gun buyers under 21, and closes the so-called boyfriend loophole, which prevents romantic partners convicted of domestic violence from buying guns. The significant thing we were able to get in response to that was a agreement to limit the bar to uh, firearms to five years. I think that was a significant step in the right direction, and um, that's, uh, that's what we uh, agreed to do. 14 Senate Republicans, alongside all 50 Democrats, voted to advance the gun safety bill, which would be enough to clear the chamber's 60-vote filibuster on a final vote. I am more than optimistic. I am all but certain that we're going to have strong bipartisan support. If passed in the Senate, the measure heads to the Democratic-controlled House, where it can likely pass without Republican support. Despite opposition from GOP leadership, some Republicans are on board. On Twitter, Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez, who represents the district of the Uvalde mass shooting, says, quote, as a congressman, it's my duty to pass laws that never infringe on the Constitution while protecting the lives of the innocent. In the coming days, I look forward to voting yes on the bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's goal is to hold a final vote by Friday before Congress leaves for a two-week July 4th recess. So let's break this whole thing down. That was Shepard Smith you heard. Uh, he is on CNBC now. And, of course, he's a hardcore leftist. He was formerly with Fox News. He just subscribes to the Democrat philosophy of guns are evil. Whatever, if this thing gets passed, if it does get passed, signed into law, it will be challenged 
And the challenges will go all the way to the United States Supreme Court for a multitude of reasons. The one piece in this thing, and I downloaded the bill. I finally got it, the proposed bill. I got it late last night. The one piece in it that I cannot support in any way, it's the red flag clauses in it. I won't go deep into it. We did yesterday a bit on the show, but what it does, it gives local state courts the unilateral ability to arbitrarily come get your guns. Seriously. Someone has to make a credible threat that you might use your gun illegally. And that credible threat's got to be given to a law enforcement officer or an officer of the court. There's a hearing, and that court will arbitrarily decide if you're a threat by having your gun. Now you put that in the context of the environment in which we are living every day, and you can see how doing that might and probably would be disastrous for the Second Amendment. I don't think that this legislation, even if it passes, will pass muster when it comes to being compared to the rights afforded to us in our Second Amendment. I really don't. But what I hate about it, listen, you heard at the beginning of that story, they talked about Uvalde, they talked about Buffalo, they talked about other mass shootings. Do you know that there's not a provision in this law, this bill, there's not a single provision that would have stopped any of those shootings that they reference in that story? Nothing there, so why even do it? That's the question I ask. Why do it? Well, I can tell you why. We got to do something. The American people expect us to do something. We've got to do something. We have to let them know that we care and that we don't stand behind the violence being perpetrated around the nation. They don't trust you. The American people don't trust you. We see what's happening on your watch around the nation. Gun violence, murders at levels never before seen in this country because of law enforcement not holding the perpetrators accountable. It has nothing to do with them having a gun. It has to do with the environment that is created and perpetrated that allows these kind of things to happen. I'll liken back to that Los Angeles criminal in jail on the phone talking to a friend and he told the, the person on the phone, the guy from jail told the person on the phone, you need to go kill this guy now. You need to hurry up and do it now before they replace this district attorney. Garcon, this district attorney doesn't believe in the death penalty and has light on crime and sentences. If you go do it now, you won't face the death penalty or life in prison. Go do it now. Criminals know that most in this United States in law enforcement where the rubber meets the road, most of them will not hold criminals accountable for these serious crimes that they're doing. And it's wide open. Anything goes. Anything goes. Well, you probably know that everybody else on the globe is living life too at the same time you and I are. We don't hear anything coming out of 
the Middle East except from Saudi Arabia and Iran regarding this administration. In the Trump administration, there were really close relationships with the officials in Israel. The Israeli people, that's our biggest ally in the Middle East. But the communications between Israel and this White House are not very good right now. In fact, Israel's keeping the Biden administration out of the loop about its recent undercover activities in Iran. This according to CNN and a report citing sources close to the matter. Israel looks like they have escalated its targeted killings and other gray zone operations inside Iran in recent months. This was a report that was given but added Jerusalem does not let D.C. know in advance of carrying out these operations. Biden administration officials in turn have taken a broadly hands-off approach to Israel's operations. Multiple current and former officials familiar with the discussions between the two countries are telling CNN this and have not directly asked Israel to knock it off. Jerusalem doesn't seem to have a strategic plan right now to try to help to end the Iranian nuclear weapons development. That came from Jonathan Panikoff, who's the head of the Middle East Security Initiative. He's a former deputy national intelligence officer for the Near East at the National Intelligence Council. He kind of knows what he's talking about. He said it's hoping that through a series of tactical actions, talking about the Biden administration, it can keep the pressure on and continuously delay Iranian progress. It was reported last week that the Israeli Air Force was making dramatic developments aimed at preparing for an attack on Iran, including integrating a precision one-ton bomb in the belly of its F-35s and updating the stealth fighter jets for long-haul flights direct to the Islamic Republic. So there is an indicator that shows that Iran may be gearing up to retaliate over Israel's actions and the fact that it's ramped up its aerospace defense force alert level. One source was cited as saying Israel does not inform the U.S. They just don't want the U.S. to know about its actions ahead of time. They don't trust the Biden administration. And folks, we can't lose We cannot afford to lose. Israel is our ally in the Middle East. This administration is sucking up every day. John Kerry, oh my gosh. He's all in for that Iran nuclear deal. How do you negotiate with people that just ad nauseum execute other people for a multitude of different reasons? So Joe Biden, John Kerry, other people in the Biden administration, they want us to go back in full-fledged into that Iran nuclear deal. They trust Iran because Iran says, hey, we're not pursuing a nuclear weapon. We're pursuing nuclear capability for power, electric power. That's what we're doing it for. Other things we see and hear about prove otherwise. Did you know this? Iran has executed more than 100 people, including minors, including women, in the last 90 days. 
Now, that's not coming from this administration. It's coming from the United Nations. This report was presented to the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva by its deputy human rights chief, Nada Al-Nashif. He said the numbers were on the rise. The reasons for executions were becoming more arbitrary. While 260 individuals were executed in 2020, at least 310 were executed last year, including at least 14 women. At least 105 people were executed, many of whom belonged to minority groups between January 1 and March 20th of this year. A total of 310 individuals were executed last year compared with 260 the previous year. Now, what's their death penalty all about? Well, it continues to be imposed on the basis of charges not amounting to most serious crimes and in ways incompatible with fair trial standards. In March alone, 52 were sentenced to death on drug-related charges. More than 85 minors are currently on death row. Crimes that can incur the death penalty in Iran include homosexual relations, armed rebellion, and spreading corruption. Al-Nashif also slammed the Islamic Republic for other human rights abuses, including the arbitrary arrest and excessive use of force during anti-regime protest. In April and May of this year, at least 55 individuals who were teachers, lawyers, labor rights defenders, artists, and academics were arrested during protest, many of whom are facing national security charges. And what do those end up in? Execution. This is the regime that Joe Biden, our president, and his climate czar, John Kerry, are desperately working hard to get them back in our corner. This is the nation where they are chanting in the streets every day, death to America. They hate the United States of America. They hate what we stand for. And they basically want us gone. Seriously, folks. That's who the Biden administration wants us to get friendly with for the very first time. It's a sad state of affairs for the Biden administration. And you know what? In that regard, how they treat Iran, we have no say-so. We don't have any voice in the government anymore. There is an authoritarian living in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He and his group of handlers are the ones that are running the nation with very little, if any, regard to what the American people think. It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the Bathroom, Close Encounters of the Third Bathroom, A River Runs Through the Bathroom. For someone suffering with sucrose intolerance, a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom. If you're experiencing chronic diarrhea, gas, stomach pain, and bloating, remember, sucrose intolerance, or CSID, can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test. Visit sucroseintolerance.com. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? 
gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? Your home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Fake news, spin, anger, violence. How do you sort through the chaos? You tune in to TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnews.org. In the midst of our conversation about this proposed Senate bill, to impact our gun laws, supposedly to take actions to stop mass shootings, especially school shootings. In the middle of all of that, we had the uh, Buffalo, Buffalo, New York slaughter up there that happened. May 14th, an attacker entered a Buffalo supermarket, killed 10 people, including a security guard who engaged the armor-clad attacker. Armor, that's what the key piece of this particular stories about. The Associated Press early this month reported Governor Kathy Hochul, who's a Democrat in New York, signed gun controls passed by New York Democrats who took quick action after the Buffalo attack. You would think they would do that. But once again, this uh, bill that's in the Senate, the one that Schumer is dead set on getting passed and sent over to the House before the end of business tomorrow. Congress, by the way, takes two weeks off starting uh, Friday afternoon. In fact, I would say this, stay away from Reagan Airport tomorrow afternoon trying to get out because all those members of Congress are going to be flying home. Long, long vacation. They call it their July 4th vacation. And of course, what they're going to do, they tell everybody, we're going to go home to our respective districts. We're going to meet with our voters. We're going to hold caucus meetings. We're going to do all those kind of things to stay in touch with our people. I promise you, there's a bunch of beach time on calendars of those 535 members in the United States Congress. All that being said, talking about what the New York governor did to try to shut down mass shootings. June 21st, AP ran a follow-up story that noted New York Democrats' new Bonnie Armour ban does not prohibit the type of armor that the Buffalo attacker wore. Now, I'm pointing this out just because I want to make it very clear to you. Gun criminality and the enforcement and holding those accountable that abuse gun laws, it's not about little bitty specific things. Those things are just symptoms of the problem. What is the problem? Well, it's not singular. There are multiple levels to it. 
but it begins with people that have really bad emotional and mental problems, and they can't control those emotions or the mental thoughts that they get. There is no question a lot of gun violence comes from anger. But you don't look at a mass shooter and think that's the only place where this anger and violence emits in the nation. Folks, 32 people were shot last weekend in Chicago. That's an average weekend. 12 people die this weekend, four or five, six or seven the next weekend. That's a yawn. Oh, just another weekend in the Windy City, right? That thought process that allows that to even be considered is part of the reason for all of this. Americans are so caught up, we all are, in our individual circumstances that we can't see outside our circle. We don't want to see outside our circle because we don't want to bring anything additional into the circle for consideration Because what we already have and we're trying to deal with is overwhelming us. There are a lot of people in this nation that are struggling emotionally and mentally that need help. You're not going to legislate gun violence away. I'm sorry. It has never happened in world history and it won't today. And instead of trying to come up with some political chits that you get from your people when they think you're being hard on crime by passing some new law. We already have 600 plus gun laws on the books and a huge percentage of those aren't even being enforced. What makes you think a new law is going to change that? It won't. And you know it. All you're doing this for is to look good to your voters, period. If you were realistic and real and honest about it, you would go nuts on law enforcement in your congressional districts, in your states. You would go crazy and demand demonstrative proof that law enforcement are enforcing every law, especially every law that comes in the case where guns are involved. Because people get hurt with guns. People die by being shot, by people holding guns. Don't ever, ever think that we're diminishing the seriousness of this. It is very serious. This government, from the top down, this government is not serious about stopping gun violence. They're not. It would require a whole lot of work, a whole lot of cooperation, a whole lot of digging, finding people in the states, in the districts, in the cities, in the towns around the nation that are willing to pay a price to be part of the process to change this. There is no desire from this White House or anybody in it to get down and get dirty at the local level to try to fix these things. Many of those things, the problems, this administration has been part of instigating. The pandemic lockdowns, folks, that was a huge negative for everybody, especially those people that couldn't work, couldn't go to work. They sit at the house. It impacted negatively their income. Yeah, they got some additional federal unemployment benefits and stuff like that. 
But a job is not just a paycheck to most Americans. It helps us with our identity, our self-worth, our opinions about ourselves. And when all of that is taken away by government, people get mad. People get angry. I am shocked that we have not seen more violence perpetrated against leaders in our government, every level, local, state, and federal. Because these are the people that are the decision makers about who's going to be in charge and what the laws are that they're going to have to be enforcing. And when you craft these laws and people don't honor the laws and they result in violence, as a government, the people expect you to be part of making sure that doesn't happen. And when nothing changes, nothing changes. And people die. And they die because government is not holding itself accountable in enforcing laws. You can look at the at the landscape of this nation from top to bottom. Everywhere that involves people, there are law enforcement members all over the place. And yet, our laws are broken. Violence is soaring. Anger, hatred, pointing fingers, murder. It's becoming kind of an ordinary event. We're losing our fiber, our core of who we are. And it comes primarily because we are allowing things to happen that are anti-law, that are criminal, and not holding people accountable. When, when you were young, your mom and dad, when you did something wrong, what did they do? They corrected you. They Most of the time they would say, don't do that, here's why. Here's what you should have done instead. Or don't say that. Or don't go there, don't do that. All of those, those are purposeful. Those are lessons for us to learn for ourselves so that when we mature, when we go out into the world, we would already know how to live among our fellow Americans, especially regarding legal matters, and we did the right thing. And we knew what to do and why to do it. We also knew what not to do and why we shouldn't do it because there's a price that comes with it all. When you take away the price and you take away the enforcement, that whole picture changes in the back of the criminal's mind, or maybe not even somebody who's already a criminal but is thinking about it, in the back of their minds, the ding, 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 ding that's there when they're contemplating doing something wrong, if I get caught, nothing's going to happen. Seriously, folks. And crafting, negotiating, creating new laws, Unless you enforce the old laws, who in their right mind thinks the new ones are going to be enforced? The old ones are not. And Americans are scared to death about a bunch of this. In fact, most conservatives in the nation are very, very concerned that the government, if this new bill is passed and it's signed into law, this new Senate bill we're talking about, most Americans think, that our government, even our state and local governments, are going to abuse these red flag laws and abuse them 
by just using that being there to arbitrarily snatch guns from private citizens. So this poll, it asked, do you believe that the red flag gun control laws designed to temporarily take guns away from individuals has the potential to be abused by local authorities and government officials to disarm their political opponents and or citizens who disagree with them? That was the question asked. Overall, a plurality of voters, almost 50%, believe that red flag gun control laws, which essentially allow for a petition filed in a court to temporarily remove firearms from a person of interest, could be and probably will be abused. Another 22% are unsure. 31% don't believe it could be abused. However, when you look at independent voters, of which I'm one, 52.3% believe government officials have major potential to abuse red flag gun control laws. Another 23% believe there's no risk. 24% are unsure. Most Republicans, 72%, agree with the majority of independent voters that red flag laws have the potential to be abused. Another 14% remain unsure. 14 others said there is no risk of abuse. What does that mean? Well, when you put it in context, folks, it, it, it means American people don't trust our government. We don't trust our government. And when it comes to our constitutional rights, we certainly see a government that is, I mean, you don't even have to question. It is going to come down to if one of their political opponents or someone they don't like is even caught up in the question about gun stuff, don't you think that they're going to jump at the opportunity to go to your house, take television crews with them to show you being dragged out of your house in handcuffs, taking your guns away because you've been adjudicated to maybe be a violent criminal? I guarantee you that's going to happen. And based upon all the stuff that we see going on around us, I don't trust the government. I don't think our government is going to enforce laws. In fact, just based upon all the things that I see and stuff you see almost every day, righteousness, the rule of law, equal justice under the law, innocent until proven guilty. We've got over 100 people in Washington, D.C., in jail. They can't even get with their attorneys. They can't get a speedy trial. This is from the January 6th insurrection. And this administration is thumbing their noses at all of those things. Red flag laws are going to do the same thing. I'll bet you. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Dear Daddy. Dear Mom. I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. 
Donate now at snowballexpress.org. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. I just got this bit of news. Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, he's got amendments that he's going to put forward to that Senate gun bill that was hammered out between Republicans and Democrats. The bill... It obviously is coming in the wake of that school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And the bill that's been put out there, some provisions have broad bipartisan support, but not all of them. The bill would allocate $15 billion to mental health care access and increasing school security, a measure that was very popular among Republicans. So to offset these costs, the bill delays the implementation of a Medicare drug rebate program that supporters say will save the federal government about $21 billion. However, other measures, including those to close the so-called boyfriend loophole measures, incentivizing states to adopt red flag laws and increasing background check requirements, have proven to be a little more controversial. Senator Paul, he went nuts about the bill, announced his intentions to put forward amendments yesterday. No one wants to see guns in the hands of criminals. No one wants to see tragedies like we saw recently in Texas. Paul said, I'm both a law-abiding gun owner and a parent. I want our schools and our kids to be safe. While we have many laws in place to do that already, there should be things we can agree on as legislators to improve upon this. For example, he said, I support legislation to include juvenile records of violent crimes to be included in all background checks. Looking at the recent criminal past of anybody is a good idea before assessing should they or should they not be a gun owner. However, that idea was paired with many questionable or bad ones in this legislation. Paul said, I'm concerned about constitutional deficiencies in many red flag laws. Red flag laws, laws that enable courts to strip people of their constitutional rights to own a gun have been a rallying cry for Second Amendment advocates for some time. The controversial laws have resulted in thousands of Americans being ordered not to possess guns because of concerns about their mental health. In a lot of cases, the accused are not given notification of an accusation or any chance to defend themselves against the charges until after their weapons have been confiscated. Paul said, I can't support any legislation that funds or encourages laws that allow ex parte gun confiscation without legal representation or even sometimes without prior notification to the defendant of any accusation at all. And he continued, I can't support legislation that funds or encourages laws 
that allow gun confiscation with a standard lower than the constitutional criminal standard of beyond a reasonable doubt. I can't support legislation that funds or encourages gun confiscation predicated on anonymous accusations. If this stands, if this stands, and see the way this legislation is drafted, the federal government won't be responsible for the crafting of the red flag laws. The part of that is going to be done at a state and local level. And so it's going to be arbitrary across the country. Politics, I promise, if this stands and we get red flag laws of any kind, we will see broad, just seizing private gun owners' firearms based upon anonymous accusations, not based upon facts, not based upon evidence. Now, they'll scream and holler and tell you, oh, we would never do that. Oh, my gosh. How quick does the left weaponize anything and everything against their political opponents? If you're running for office, let's just say you're running for Congress, or maybe you're running for mayor or governor in your state, or maybe just your city council, and you have a political opponent that despises you, that hates you, that hates everything that you stand for, and they see this as an opportunity, they find out you're a Second Amendment person. You're a concealed carry person. You're proud of it. It's a constitutional right. Somehow, we will see people that are against that person or those people for political reasons. We will see that weaponized to use against them in elections across this nation. Look at what the United States Congress Democrats in the House have done weaponizing things that are even unreal against former President Donald Trump. They're doing it again in this January 6th committee faux pas that they're calling a committee. It's really not. It's a group of hardcore anti-Donald Trump people who are doing everything they can to make sure he doesn't get a chance to come before the American people to ask for us to vote for him again. This is the United States of America We weren't supposed to even ever have to have this type of conversation. But the reason we're having it is not because we're afraid of what they'll do. We've seen what they're already doing. And when somebody proves they are some of some political ilk, it would be stupid for anybody to believe they won't act according to that again and again. And again, do you remember the name Andrew Gillum? Andrew Gillum, he was the mayor of Tallahassee, where the government seat is for the state of Florida. Andrew Gillum, he ran against Ron DeSantis when Ron became the governor of Florida. Andrew Gillum, an African-American guy, he was an aspiring big time, going to be in the Democrat Party. Well, he's in some deep doo-doo now. He was indicted on charges including conspiracy, 19 counts of wire fraud. This was announced late yesterday. Gillum was mayor of Tallahassee. He's accused of acting in concert with an associate, Sharon Janet Letterman Hicks, 
to solicit funds using false representations and promises. The indictment further alleges the defendants used third parties to divert a portion of those funds to a company owned by Letterman Hicks, who then fraudulently provided the funds disguised as payroll payments to Gillum for his personal use. The DOJ didn't go into details, only to say the alleged scheme went on from 2016 to 2019. Local reporting from Tallahassee indicated the charges are based on campaign contributions that Gillum and Letterman Hicks allegedly solicited from undercover FBI agents. He's charged with additionally making a false statement to the FBI. You just never know. But the love of money always has been and is and always will be, according to the Bible, not Dan. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's a wrap on Thursday. Thank you for being here and sharing it with us. Friday's going to be a big day, I promise you. There's going to be some big news. And we'll have Susan Swift, constitutional attorney, back with us should the Supreme Court Roe v. Wade decision be handed down. Even if that doesn't happen, be here, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time at TNN Live. You have a great Thursday. Give me a second, I, I need to get my story straight. My friends are in the bathroom, getting higher than the Empire State. My lover, she is waiting for me. Just across the bar, my seat's been taken by some sunglasses. Asking my discovery. I know I gave it to you months ago. Yeah, I know you're trying to forget. Between the drinks and the saddle things, the holes in my apologies, you know. I'm trying hard to take it back. So if by the time the bar closes and you feel like falling down, I'll carry you home tonight. Find ways to fall
closes and you feel like falling down, I'll carry you home tonight.